Hey guys, I'm Chastity, and you're listening to the Ancient Conspiracies Podcast, where we connect the origins of some of the most popular conspiracy theories to biblical history. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Now, this week, we're going to pick up right where we left off last episode. This is part two. So if you missed last week's episode, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it first so that you're familiar with the information that I'm going to expound on today. It was very deeply revealing information that probably caught a few of you off guard, but it really lays a foundation and brings to light what has been lurking in the shadows and driving the direction of our country. Today, I'm going to expound on those concepts and really prove to you their validity. Now, many people don't realize that as many as 44 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. And these aren't the Freemasons as we know of them today. The early Freemasons in the United States were being heavily influenced by numerous secret societies out of Europe who were dedicated to a concept that Pastor Tom Horn calls the Atlantean Scheme. They were infatuated with a utopian novel written in the 1600s by the Lord Chancellor of England, Sir Francis Bacon, called the New Atlantis. And the New Atlantis was based on the writings of Plato, who wrote about the mythological city of Atlantis. Now, I mentioned in episode 11 that Plato was mentored by Cush, the father of Nimrod, who was also known as Hermes in Greece. Cush was the one who supposedly translated the pillars of occult knowledge after the flood and brought the knowledge to Nimrod. He later settled in Greece and shared this esoteric knowledge, and his students became the ancient philosophers, including Plato and Pythagoras. And Plato wrote that Atlantis was a democracy that worked in harmony with the ancient gods. And in return, Atlantis was prosperous and technologically advanced. But after some time, they began to forget the gods and forget how they achieved such greatness. And therefore, the gods turned their backs on Atlantis and society started to crumble from within. Ultimately, the entire city of Atlantis was swallowed up by the sea. Now, we know that commingling with these ancient gods is the exact reason for the flood of Noah that swallowed up the entire earth, not just one civilization. But Sir Francis Bacon puts forth the idea in his novel that a new Atlantis could be built, a new effort to partner with the gods of antiquity. Essentially, the new Atlantis that he envisions is what we would call today the New World Order. And he goes so far as to claim that even the discovery of the New World, the Americas, were the exact geographical location of the lost civilization of Atlantis. And his novel includes all of the ideas that he envisions this new Atlantis to accomplish. And it's from his prophecies that America was guided to what a certain Freemason called a secret destiny, which I'll expound on in just a moment. In fact, Sir Francis Bacon helped establish several of the British colonies in both the United States and Canada. A Canadian stamp from 1910 of Sir Francis Bacon labels him the, quote, guiding spirit of the colonization scheme, unquote. 
Now, Sir Francis Bacon is considered the father of modern science. And if you remember from episode 11, certain scientific knowledge was given by the fallen angels. And this was the knowledge that was passed down and kept hidden amongst secret societies. And therefore, it comes as no surprise that Sir Francis Bacon was also the leader of the Rosicrucian order. And the symbol for Rosicrucianism is a cross with a rose. Rosicrucian literally translates rosy cross. Now, of course, the cross symbolizes Christianity, but the rose represents the ancient secret knowledge. Therefore, Rosicrucianism essentially is a marriage of paganism with Christianity, Gnosticism. And in the same way that Horus is the counterfeit Christ, as we discussed last week, Rosicrucianism is the counterfeit Christianity, which reminds me of a scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, having an appearance of godliness, but lacking the power thereof. And according to Chris Pinto, who is a documentary filmmaker that has uncovered incredible information regarding the hidden faith of our founding fathers, the Rosicrucians developed a secret language where outwardly it appeared that they were Christian, but inwardly they assigned different meanings to terms like God and salvation, an entirely different belief system known only to them in their secret groups, which reminds me of another scripture in Matthew chapter 23, verse 28, in which Christ is calling out the Pharisees and Sadducees who, on the outside, appeared to be righteous but on the inside were full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And this is why America appears on the surface to be a Christian nation. But underneath it all lurks a very dark underbelly, which we're going to uncover today. In 1776, at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, a committee was created to design the Great Seal of the United States. And this seal was to represent our purpose, the plan of our country, our mission statement, if you will, and possibly even predict our prophetic outcome. And the committee created to design this seal consisted of John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin. Now, John Adams became the second president of the United States, and he was considered a universalist, what we might think of today as a new ager. He completely rejected the faith of his parents and the divinity of Jesus. Thomas Jefferson, as we've established, was steeped in fascination with the ancient pagan gods, and he flat out called the teachings of Jesus the ravings of a madman. And he actually went through the New Testament with a razor blade, cutting out every reference to the deity of Jesus Christ, including removing the entire book of Revelations, which covers Christ's second coming. And he created his own purified version of the New Testament, with all of this material missing. And he called it the Jefferson Bible, which is still stored at the Smithsonian. But Benjamin Franklin takes the cake. He was a high-level 33rd-degree Mason and member of the Freemasons in both the United States and in Europe. What's interesting is that in 1998, when they were remodeling Benjamin Franklin's home in London, they discovered the remains of several adults and children, which had been sawn into pieces and the bones burned, all of which date back to the time of Benjamin Franklin. And he was also a member of the Hellfire Club, which met twice a year by invitation only. 
Rather than meeting to discuss poetry and politics, the main aim of the Hellfire Club was to mock religion and its inherent hypocrisies. The club leader was called the Devil, and members were required to come dressed in costume. They actually renovated a building to include mythological decor and phallic symbols. The garden included the Temple of Venus, as well as statues of Pan. Both were known as gods of sexuality. And they were known for partaking in satirical religious ceremonies, which included meals of Holy Ghost pie, breast of Venus, and devil's loin. They also drank a concoction made of brandy and brimstone and would drink to the gods of darkness. The very name of the club influenced modern shows like the Hellfire Club in the Netflix series Stranger Things. So I hate to disillusion you, but America was not founded as a Christian nation. But I love the way Tom Horn explains it. Even though we may not have started as a Christian nation, we ultimately became one because of the preaching of the gospel. But when you look at the symbols that represent America, you will exhaust yourself looking for Christian representation because there is none. What you find instead is a pledge of allegiance to the pagan gods of antiquity. And a quick glance at the Great Seal of the United States proves it. So if you grab a dollar bill and flip it over to the back side, you'll find both sides of the Great Seal that were approved to be the very representation of the purpose of our great country. Now on the front of the seal, you'll find a bald eagle, our national bird. And in its right claw, you find an olive branch with 13 leaves and also 13 olives. There are 13 bars and stripes on the shield and 13 arrows in its left claw. There are also 13 letters in E Pluribus Unum, which is on the ribbon in the eagle's mouth. And there are 13 stars in the crest above the eagle's head. Notice that the stars form a hexagram or a star of David. I'll explain this in just a moment. And on the back side of the seal, there are 13 tiers on the pyramid and 13 letters in Anawit Coeptus. Now, from the outside, all of these 13s appear to be referencing the 13 colonies, the 13 original states that formed our union. But 33rd degree Freemason Albert Pike claims different. He wrote what was considered the Bible for Freemasons called Morals and Dogma. And he was so important to the Freemasons that they actually entombed him in the walls of the House of the Temple in Washington, D.C., which to this very day serves as headquarters for the Supreme Council of the Scottish Rite, the 33rd degree Masons. And his book was originally only meant to be read by 32nd and 33rd degree Masons. But in it, he admits that the lowest levels of Freemasonry are intentionally deceived by making them believe that the symbols mean one thing until you reach the levels where you attain entrance to what's essentially the Holy of Holies, where you're entrusted with the true meaning of the symbols. And the repeated representation of the number 13 actually represents the 13 parts of Osiris that his sister wife Isis was able to recover, which we talked about last episode. And this, according to another famous Freemason, Manly P. Hall, 
was the secret destiny of America. In fact, in his book, The Secret Destiny of America, he verifies that when the all-seeing eye of Horus finally settles on the top of the Great Pyramid on the seal of the United States, it will form the 14th piece of the pyramid, representing the completion of Osiris, his return in the bodily form of his son, Horus. And he goes so far as to claim that the Great Seal of the United States is, quote, the signature of the Masons who designed America for a peculiar and particular purpose, unquote. And this purpose becomes clear when you notice that the emblems covering the Great Seal represent Osiris and his son Horus. Yet the mottos on the Great Seal all represent Jupiter and his son Apollo. And both sets of people are one and the same. Nimrod was known as Osiris in Egypt and Jupiter in Rome. And his son Tammuz was known as Horus in Egypt and Apollo in Rome. So both names being represented on the seal point to the same person. And this may in fact be the hidden meaning behind E Pluribus Unum, which translates out of many, one. Now on the surface level, we're led to believe that it represents our mixing pot of a nation, but the deeper representation may actually point to the many names of Nimrod after the languages were confused at the Tower of Babel. Out of his many names, it's all about the one God prophesied to return. And that's where the phrase Anuit Coeptus comes in. It's the motto located above the pyramid on the back of the Great Seal. It's actually taken from a Latin epic poem called Virgil's Aenid, in which the main character prays to Apollo's father Jupiter and concludes Jupiter Omnipotus, all-powerful Jupiter, Audacibus Anuqueptus, favors our daring undertakings. Now, the designer of the seal of the United States, Charles Thompson, condensed this phrase down to simply Anuit Coeptus, which translates, he approves our undertakings. And likewise, the phrase Novus Ordo Seclorum, located underneath the pyramid, was also taken by Charles Thompson from the Latin writings of Virgil, in which he prophesies, quote, Magnus ab integro seclorum nescitur ordo, unquote, which means the majestic role of circling centuries begins anew, pointing to the beginning of a new historical age, which we touched on last week, being also represented in the Capitol Dome by the potential astrological time clock of the 72 stars. It's basically a countdown to the return of their god. And this particular phrase from the Latin writings of Virgil was taken from the Cume Sibyl, a pagan prophetess of Apollo, identified in the Bible as a demonic deceiver. And I'll read to you the passage of her writings that Virgil referenced. Quote, now the last age by Kume Sibyl sung has come and gone, and the majestic role of circling centuries begins anew. Justice returns, returns old Saturn's reign, with a new breed of men sent down from heaven. 
Only do thou at the boy's birth, in whom the iron shall cease, the golden race arise. Befriend him, chaste Lucina, tis thine own Apollo reigns. He shall receive the life of gods, and see heroes with gods commingling, and himself be seen of them, and with his father's worth reign over the world." Unquote which in simplified terms basically says that the new order of the ages begins with the return of old Saturn's reign. Saturn was the father of Jupiter, and a new breed of men will be sent from heaven with Apollo's birth, and a golden race shall arise, and Apollo shall receive the life of gods when the gods once again commingle with man. And with his father's worth, his father's spirit, he will reign over the world. It immediately makes me think of something that Jesus said of his return. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be with the coming of the Son of Man. And what did we see happen in the days of Noah? The fallen angels who had promoted themselves as gods commingled with mankind. The exact prophecy that the prophetess of Apollo is saying will one day happen again. And this is the very age of mankind that's predicted on the great seal of the United States, the prophetic outcome, if you will, of our great country to bring this prophecy to pass. And in case you weren't aware, the eagle, the very bird that represents our great country, is the ancient emblem of Apollo's father Jupiter, the exact Roman god who we said last week Thomas Jefferson wanted the United States to be designed after. In fact, I posted a picture recently to my Facebook group page with the image of several ancient coins, the first of which was from ancient Greece, and on the front side of the coin was the side profile of a man's head, and on the back side of the coin was an eagle. The next coin was from ancient Rome, and on the front side of the coin was the side profile of a man's head, and on the back side of the coin was an eagle. And the last coin in the image was our modern quarter. On the front side of the quarter is the side profile of Washington's head, and on the back side of the quarter is an eagle. If I didn't know any better, I would assume that these were all from the exact same civilization, just in different eras of history. And it doesn't end there. The symbol of the eagle with the hexagram over its head, that Star of David shape, is actually a symbol within high-level occultism used to invoke the second coming of the god Jupiter. Aliester Crowley, who is a famous British occultist and ceremonial magician, claimed to be visited by a spirit in the early 1900s who dictated to him a satanic Bible, which Aliester Crowley compiled and titled The Book of the Law. 
and he claimed that this spirit appointed him as a prophet who would lead the world into the age of Horus, what he called the Aeon of Horus, which I actually touched on in my headlines episode from November 23rd, and how this uniquely symbolized word shares an eerie connection to the name of Elon Musk's most recent son. And Aliester Crowley used the symbol of the eagle with a hexagram over its head to invoke the second coming of Horus. In fact, he called this hexagram the unicursal hexagram. Unicursal undoubtedly being an algebraic term in mathematics, wherein the image can be created with one continuous line rather than two overlaid triangles. And this symbol is actually pushed by big labels even today. Not only was it called the Aquarian Star in the television series Supernatural, it's also on the loading screen of the popular video game Uncharted 3. And it appears during the ending credits of every single episode of the new television series Loki, who happens to be the brother of Thor and the adopted son of Odin, the Nordic name given to Nimrod. So after sharing all of this, I don't really think the phrase in God we trust is even worth exploring. The symbolism surrounding the phrase clarifies beyond a shadow of a doubt the God in question. And even if you step back from the Great Seal and instead turn your attention to the design of the capital city, the government buildings on which pagan gods and symbols are just plastered, the obelisk of Osiris, the dome of Isis, combined with the knowledge that this very design came from Freemasons who at the time were steeped in occultic beliefs. In fact, the cornerstones of each of the official government buildings were actually dedicated by the Freemasons during astrological alignments related to the constellation Virgo, the very constellation that represents Isis. And all of this was designed with pinpoint precision as part of the effort first introduced by Sir Francis Bacon to create a new Atlantis in partnership and harmony with the gods of antiquity. And whether or not you believe any of what I've shared today, trust and believe that the elite, the bloodlines of the Nephilim, who are still alive and well on planet Earth today, know full well that we are marching towards a moment in time, a new age that will bring about the second coming of their God. And they are advancing us at a rapid pace to reach it. And that's where we're going to pick up next time. Now, next week is Christmas, and we're going to detour from our study of America to cover the pagan origins of Christmas. But luckily, we don't have to detour all that far. Christmas does indeed celebrate the birth of an important figure, but not the one we've all been led to believe. In fact, the birth of this figure was prophesied by the Kume Sibyl, which we referenced earlier. And his very birth will bring about the Novus Ordo Seclorum. If you've enjoyed today's content, please hit the subscribe button, rate and review today's episode. I'd love to hear your feedback and share this podcast with a friend. We'll see you next week. 